Welcome to this Joint Work Smart and Elephants Don't Forget bonus podcast, a follow-up to our highly popular webinar on how to get reported, fined and investigated by the FCA in 2020. In this podcast, our webinar panellists Adrian Harvey and Julie Pardy review and answer the audience questions on SMCR, culture, governance and strategies for evidencing employee competence whilst in lockdown. So let's get to it. So Adrian, what we found when we were undertaking the webinar was that there were some interesting comments that came from our attendees around the importance of leadership, governance and decision making when you find yourself in a crisis like this. From your perspective, what's your view on where firms sit if they've struggled to get their governance structures in place before COVID-19? What are the chances of them getting it right now? I guess it really depends how serious they are, Julie. Yeah, we raised it on the webinar, in fact, that if leadership wants to take affirmative and assertive action, there's nothing stopping them doing that. And I, I in fact, referenced a firm that, that had done that incredibly well by empowering their people on the front line to make appropriate customer-based decisions. But candidly, if the firm's taken a fairly laissez-faire approach to governance prior to COVID-19, it stands to reason that they're probably not going to improve upon that in the current set of circumstances. And if anything, they're probably going to be increasingly exposed. In terms of our audience from the webinar, there was a strong feeling that there would be governance shortcuts across the industry, and that in turn would cause firms to struggle to meet their requirements under SMCR. What's your view on that? We have heard stories of firms who have, for example, cut all support mechanics and training for their employees on the phone on the front line. Now, I get there's an immediate reaction to a crisis and then there's sort of the recovery process. And I, I know for a fact that there are firms out there that are doing no training whatsoever and no support of their employees still weeks and weeks after lockdown. So that, you've got to believe that they're, they're failing to comply. I think that's an immediate reaction, isn't it? Like you say, to a crisis of this nature, you have that immediate stock take of what are the most important things that need to be done. And you you set aside those non-critical items. But I think as this goes on, you're absolutely right. Actually, now is the time. The regulators already said that they expect firms to keep SMCR going. They expect firms to certify their staff in the normal manner. So if you pull away, all the opportunities for somebody to maintain their competence, actually it's going to rebound on firms later on in the year when they try and evidence that that competence is still there. Yeah, I mean, that leads us nicely to the sort of second group of questions, if you like, which was about evidencing reasonable steps and delegation. So how could firms be expected to evidence that they've taken reasonable steps when their employees are now distributed all across the country or wherever they're principally based whereas in the past they've had oversight literally of the employees sat in the office now they're not there so Julie it's a more of a technical question so rather than defining reasonable steps I would anticipate evidencing would be a larger issue given the pandemic some firms may make rash decisions that will not have been fully thought through what are your thoughts on this? Well, I think it's inevitable, really. 
that there will be some knee-jerk reactions in some instances with decision-making. And I think that evidencing is key here. The regulators always worked on the basis of if, if it's not written down, either it didn't happen or, you know, or it wasn't considered effectively. And I think the banks have done a lot of work around reasonable steps and how the evidence decisions that have been made and have learned lessons through, you know, lack of effective evidence and also auditing under SMCR, which actually the solo regulated firms wouldn't necessarily have the benefit of that. So this is the first big test for them. And I think as part of their governance and policies and procedures, they do need to have in place, you know, effective potential handover capability in the event of if somebody um, wasn't able to turn up for work, they've always had the requirement that there should be suitable evidence that somebody could pick up and work with that going forward. So this is going to be their first test. If they do SMCR, as we've said before, on Excel spreadsheets and post-it notes, there is no way in six to 12 months time, they're going to be able to go back and put together coherent evidence of what happened, why it happened, and who were the stakeholders involved in the decision making. So it's going to be really difficult, I think. I would say this, but you know, we, we generally take the, the stance that if you've got less than 50 employees and you dedicate resource to doing so, you can probably demonstrate that you or evidence that you've taken reasonable steps, for example, with regard to their competency. If you've got more than 50 employees, I just don't see how it's possible. I don't see how it's possible. I mean, if you look at the um, the amount of processing that goes into our artificial intelligence to ensure that occurs, I, I don't see a, a, a posse of administrators doing that in solar regulated firms. And if they are, they're going to be making lots of mistakes. No, I absolutely agree. I think that um, if firms aren't using automation and process management and using the best of technology that there is actually at the very least it's going to be a horrible exercise of going back to try and work out what happened and record it in order to go forward so julie one of the um one of the themes because what we've done is we've cut all the questions into into themes but one of the themes that came out from the webinar was the role of training and education and the fact that quite a few questions related to the fact or the belief that a lot of firms have put this on the back burner. And one of the questions that we quite liked, you know, quite pointed question, is that how do you assess the skills and competencies of SMF board members? By whom? And as per SMCR requirement, we need also to assess the board members' SMF are fit and proper on an annual basis. How would you respond to that? I'd break that into two parts, I think, and I would deal with generally the whom should assess the board members and then how would you break that down and I think it's always been accepted as a concept that the chairman of an organisation would be evaluating the performance of the chief executive and the chief executive would be evaluating the performance of their team. Now in the larger organisations because of the requirements of the corporate governance code you would have board evaluations and those board evaluations may be done if you have a unit within the organisation that are capable of running it by an internal team but typically you'd get a, a specialist firm 
and they would come in. The other thing I think that we need to think about here is that fit and proper, that term is used to mean so many different things. And I think there's some confusion from a regulatory perspective, fit and proper is made up of three parts. So it's, is somebody financially sound? Do they have the right honesty and integrity to undertake the role? And are they competent and capable? So if a firm's assessing a senior manager, there should be at least those three components to their check from a regulatory point of view. And then from an operational point of view, an external view about how does the board work together and what individual roles do people play and is it effective? And I think it's a combination. I know our customers speak very highly of the fact that we're able to give independent evidence of employee competency, for example. They place a lot of importance on the fact that it's independent. I would definitely feel happier personally if I were running a solar regulated firm, if I had a third party expert come in and do that piece of work. I agree. I think whenever we get asked to go in to firms and talk to them about what we do and how we do it, quite often we'll we'll have the comment that says, we could tell the business what you've told us, but because we're internal, it doesn't have as much weight as it coming from an external source. Therefore, we'd like you to say that, you know, to the wider business. And and it is because internally, you don't know what you don't know, do you? And, And working with an external firm that's got that reach over a wide range of firms within the market in which you work gives you insight that you'd never have before. So there were two other groups of questions we got asked some questions in both of these categories. They're related, so we'd probably just discuss it together. Um, One of the categories was, do firms really know what they and their staff know about regulation? Which is a fairly pointed question. And remote working and SMCR, the audience feels that this is where firms may struggle. This is very different. So let me make the point. We We actually, we teased it out in the webinar. This is very different from some SMF holders, yeah, saying, yes, I get it. This is about the people executing the work. The hundreds sometimes or thousands of people on the front line executing that work. It's those people that we're really talking about. Yeah, and I think that what firms do and they tend to do well is when they bring people on board when they induct them they talk about the fact that they're a regulated firm they talk about typically you know the markets that they serve and how important it is to the regulator to uh, treat customers fairly and that kind of thing but I don't necessarily see that that's a long-term ongoing thing and I think if we don't have the context in which we fulfill our role and the true purpose of what we're trying to achieve at a a higher level actually it, it can sort of get out of kilter and maybe firms don't understand. I think I saw some notes from one of our attendees on the webinar that they had built into their induction all of the detail around the 11 principles that regulated businesses have to adhere to and what that meant on a day-to-day basis for the staff. And I think things like that are quite powerful. So we need to understand the context of which we're working and the regulatory environment and how our role fits into that. And I guess that was a big part of why the regulator has looked at introducing conduct rules for wider staff and trying to align it to the role that they do. Yeah, we heard we heard some um, interesting comments, didn't we, about firms who, because the workers are now disparate working from home, how do you ensure the appropriate governance? And there was a lot of nervousness and talk about essentially micromanaging employees, which is only going to really drive employees to work to rule, which is probably going to give you the opposite outcome that you want you want your employees giving discretional effort not just quoting policies and uh, 
upsetting customers. What's your thinking about remote working, Judy? I think culture is a big part of it. So, you know, there are some roles, obviously, that it potentially could be difficult to have remotely at home, but there are many roles that can operate just as effectively. And if the firm had a very grown-up approach to empowering their employees before this happened, then there should be no reasons why it can't work effectively. Um, yeah, but Julie, but if think... you fo- sorry to interrupt you. If you follow okay. the tick box training regime in relation to the regulation, yeah, are you going to have a grown-up approach to empowering your employees? No, no, absolutely why, And why not. would that be? Because you're doing it because you feel you have to, as opposed to doing it to try and drive the benefits out of what the regulator is, is looking for you to achieve. And I think you, you've got to have the tools to do the job, though, haven't you? you you've got to have the tools. I, I've spoken to firms that have regulated firms that have told me that it's taken them three weeks to transition from an office space to remote working with um, the day to day jobs not being done and customer requirements not being met as they've transitioned. So there is a challenge, isn't there? If a firm had invested in its infrastructure, if it had invested in technology and it had a grown-up approach before about people working from home, then actually there's no reason why you, you can't transition, as many firms have. I go as far as to say, if firms have invested in ensuring their employees are genuinely competent and capable, they should have a far more relaxed mindset in terms of are those employees going to be doing the job within the regulations. If, on the other hand, they've taken the lowest cost option of annual tick box, now get on with your work, I suspect they would be increasingly nervous about how those employees are actually acting on their own, fielding calls from customers. Absolutely. I I suspect you're right. So, Adrian, one of the um, interesting points that came out of the comments that we had on the webinar, there was this general um, view that conduct issues would actually increase under COVID-19. I just want to get your view on that. We'll go back to this point of culture, yeah? I think that where firms will be exposed is where they haven't made the progress the FCA would hope they had, have treated SMCR as perhaps just another regulatory exercise to go through and get back on with work. And I think the firms that will do better are those who have really understood what SMCR means and for me, SMCR is a, a transformational piece of legislation. And I used in the, in the webinar, we talked about health and safety. And we talked about how the construction industry, for example, in the UK was transformed by making senior managers and directors responsible for their actions in relation to their staff safety. Now you can't go on a building site in the UK without seeing all of the workers wearing all of the protective equipment and adhering to the rules and it being driven from the top. I think that's what the FCA is attempting to achieve with SMCR. And I think those firms that have understood the intent of SMCR will be fine. However, I do think the vast majority of the market hasn't understood that that's the desired outcome and doesn't or hasn't made the cultural shift. And therefore, I do think the uh, conduct risk issues will, uh, will be considerably higher. It's a real difficult one, isn't it? From a regulatory point of view, when decisions are made at a pace, as 
our listeners already concluded, when you haven't got all of the staff that you would normally have, you've got people standing in for roles where maybe they've never stood in before, then you've got almost a perfect storm, haven't you, of challenges in order to deal with this. But to be fair, the regulator has for a long time now been talking to firms about them testing their operational resilience and to be very clear about what their discontinuity plan looked like. And this is the ultimate test, isn't it? It's absolutely the ultimate test. So, you know, it'll be interesting to see how firms fare over the coming months with this. This point of firms over furloughing staff, we've had some very candid questions from audiences saying, I can't deliver what I know I have to deliver because my employer has furloughed most of the team. What's your advice to somebody in that situation? What's the regulations say they've got to do? Is that, a, is that a whistleblowing situation? If you take it right back to the threshold conditions that firms have to adhere to in order to get their approval in the first place and continue to operate, one of them is resourcing and that a business is has to be at all times effectively resourced in order to be able to deliver against its requirements. Now, obviously, this is an exceptional time. If I was the person involved and I you, I would go through the normal process, i.e. raise it with the line manager. If the line manager isn't there, raise it with the next person. If I didn't feel that I was being listened to, then I'd put it in, I'd put it in writing. I'd put my concerns, but I'd also explain what I am unable to do as a result of there being insufficient resourcing so that a decision can be made and a discussion can take place. I think people have to you know, take a view on how serious it is if it's day-to-day stuff that is not impacting operation in full or it's not leading to bad outcomes for consumers. You could argue that if you're short of staff, then maybe you put some things on the back burner. But I think it needs to be escalated because in the time of not all working together in the same place, some things that aren't happening might not be fully visible to the more senior managers. So actually, I would suspect that they would appreciate knowing so that they can take action. I concur. My stance was you should make senior management aware. And I particularly like your point about what's the consequence. So the front line is going to know what the consequence of that is. If you furloughed 75% of my team, we can't field these complaint calls. That's going to go through the, the period required and straight to the ombudsman. Julie, one of the questions that we had, ironically, was the day after the event. So one of the questions we had was, um, have CEO letters lost their impact? somewhat as they are no longer sent to CEOs directly. Any views on this? Yeah, so that's a really interesting question, actually, because although they um, may not be sent to CEOs directly, they are more and more either asking firms to name the senior manager in charge or telling firms that they want to talk to the senior manager in charge of the particular issue they're discussing. If we look at the one that went out on the 28th, of April, it was a pretty pretty serious one. It was a dear CEO letter that was sent to various lenders that are lending to corporates or not lending to corporates, as the case may be. And the regulator is highlighting the fact that they believe that poor practice is going on um, in that particular market. And they followed it up with the fact that they will be calling the firm directly and talking to the senior manager in charge. So interestingly, whilst it might not have necessarily been directed directly at the CEO, actually it's getting to the person in the firm that is absolutely accountable for that particular area of the business, so therefore should be 
as impactful as it has been previously, in my opinion. And what this says to me, this is fundamental. Pre-SMCR, the Dear CEO letter would have gone to the CEO just as the representative of the brand, yeah, and the brand would have responded. What's now happening is the FCA saying, I'm not even sending the letter to the CEO. I'm sending it to the senior manager and other people in the business. And I have the right to speak to the person who I'm going to hold to account. Nothing to do with the brand. And that talks to the fact of, you know, individual accountability, doesn't it? And the fact that actually they, you know, they they want to talk to the people that are actually making the decisions that are fundamentally impacting the consumers. And that won't always be the CEO. It will be the the managers in charge of the particular area. So, uh, yeah, interesting to see how this develops, actually. So having looked at all of the questions and the comments that we've had going through the webinar last week, I think the things that have really stood out for me is that there is a genuine interest from the individuals that certainly were on our webinar in getting this right and doing the right thing. There were concerns because they think that potentially businesses are a little bit under-resourced at the moment, which is causing them difficulties in achieving the requirements of the role. They feel that the pace of change is greater than the businesses maybe are able to keep up with it and specifically evidence and that firms are typically doing what they do in a downturn in that is removing the funding and the focus on staff development which actually can only be a bad thing in the longer term as businesses need to rely on those staff to rebuild as we go forward. Adrian what's your takeaways? I think the two things that came out of this for me was audience concern around governance and audience concern about their ability to evidence that they have done or are doing the right thing under SMCL. So they stood out starkly for me. And um, you've only got to look at the number of questions we've got in those topics and engagement subsequently. I would say that's the, that, that's the learning for me. Thanks for listening to this podcast. To find out more about how Elephants Don't Forget's artificial intelligence tool can be deployed throughout your firm to move away from a tick box approach to compliance and improve the training and competency of your staff under SMCR, please visit elephantsdon'tforget.com. To learn about how WorkSmart's SMCR software solution, Accord, can provide your firm with clear central record keeping, strong corporate governance, clear accountability, and evidence of employee fitness and proprietary, please visit worksmart.co.uk.